Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 51. Our special guest is Katerina Yaki. Welcome, Katerina Yaki, to Broadway's yes. Backbone. How are you? I'm very well, thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Well, you're between shows for <laughs> Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet, and you just yeah. came from physical therapy. I so did. the fact that you're squeezing me in. I appreciate it. But it's you, Brad. Aww, it's you. Thank you so much. And this much. is awesome what you do for, for people like me. So this is Aww, great. Well, thank you. Yeah. And people like me. <laughs> exactly. So I'll read your credits. You did the tour of Sweeney Todd. You yes. did uh, Cabaret. Two times. Two times. The most recent revival and the other revival, yes. both at Studio 54. Yes. Company. Yes. Billy Elliot Tour. And Billy on Broadway. And on Broadway. Which is how I know you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. War Horse. Yes. And then currently you're in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, yeah. which you also did off-Broadway. I did. So where are you from and how did you get started? I'm originally from a small place called Mont Alto, Pennsylvania. Uh, our closest place of significance is probably Gettysburg. I think there was a battle there. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I grew up in a very musical family. Uh, My parents were both singers and musicians and had a band, so I didn't have a choice in terms of playing music. Uh, The first things that I took lessons on were piano and drums, uh, supposedly to be in the band at some point. I have two older brothers that were also in the band. So the Partridge family a little bit? Basically the Partridge family. Uh, they were called the main event. Before any of us were born, they were called Dean's Duo when it was just my parents. And my sister and I are, are pretty great age difference between each other and my brothers. And we were too young to be in the band, but we only would do holidays. So we would sing at like Christmas and they'd be like, oh, look, the two little girls in the band. Or whatever. But as, as we got older, we had to choose instruments and as you do in fourth grade. And I wanted to play violin, but there wasn't a string program where I was from. Uh, the closest was about an hour and a half drive for me to take lessons. And, and my mom and I went to hear an orchestra and, and in hopes that I would choose another instrument. And a woman stood up and she played a note and then everybody played the note after her. And I was like, that one. I didn't, know what it, I didn't know what the instrument was. I was just like, that's interesting that she played a note and that everybody followed along. I mean, what does that say? But um, it was the You're oboe, right, I suppose. Oh, the oboe. It was the oboe. So I started playing oboe, and eventually that was my major the first time around when I went to college was oboe performance. And I applied as, uh, I mean, obviously coming from a musical family, my, my mom, I think, got her equity card when she was pregnant with me. So, I you know, I grew up, being a part of this family band, but also watching my mom do shows from from the time that I could walk and going to this regional theater called Totem Pole Playhouse, which is uh, eight miles from my parents' house. It's still there, too. It is, and it was a huge part of my experience growing up, and I'm still in touch with the family that was there at the time, the Putches, John Putch, and his wife, Jean Stapleton, sort of spearheaded this whole whole establishment, and their son, John, is still a dear friend, and I've been in a few of his films. He, He works out of L.A., but I watched my mom, and I was, she was in a production, it was 1983, and it was Ernest in Love, and she did this scene. I did that off Broadway. Oh, I didn't know Random. that. Random. Oh, interesting. No one does that show. Interesting. Yeah. Well, my mother was in the show, and I was six, and I remember watching her do this dance number with this other man on stage, and I was like, she just looks so beautiful, and she was so good, and I was like, I want to do that. Like, I, I want to do what mom's doing. Like, yeah. that's just the coolest thing. So I had the bug from a pretty early age. 
So the music stuff wasn't a choice. We were just required to play music. But being in theater was always around, and I did have a choice if I wanted to do it, and I definitely wanted to, to do it. There was one uh, bio for a production of Christmas Carol that I think I was in when I was probably nine or ten, and it, it, it says that I wanted to be a math teacher, a doctor, and star in a Broadway show. And my mom has you know, showed me that. Yes, and well, you knew what you wanted to be. I did, I did. So when I, when I did go to Penn State initially as an oboe performance major, I applied in their music theater department. It was very new at the time, and now it's a, it's a reputable program to, to be a part of, but at the time it was fairly new. And I did get in. They only accepted uh, 10 students, I think it was, per year. Uh, but I decided not to stick with it. I decided I wanted to go the musician route. So I only did oboe the first year. And then the second year, I was like, no, I really miss singing and dancing. I want to do this. I'd done all the plays in high school, like you know, all the rest of us in the in in the industry, and I did go back and do a second year uh, as as a double major there, and then I decided I wanted to transfer schools, and so I applied to different schools around the country, and then I got a tour, and so I didn't actually return to Penn State or go to the, any of the schools that right. I got accepted to. I I decided to go on tour, and I thought I'll finish later. And then it's just been a whirlwind since then, and I'm finally finishing now. Totally different school. I've transferred all my Penn State credits to Berklee College of Music in Boston. Okay. And they have this new program. It's all online, and it's if it had been like this when I was 18, I probably would have gone this route because it would have meant that I could have started performing right away. People often have asked me, do you feel good that you had waited to finish? Would you... And I don't. I love hearing when people finished and then they set out. I right. do. My path has been wonderful, but I would tell people to finish. I would say finish school and 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 do it. You know. But touring at the, a young age is also oh, a huge it was wonderful. education. Yeah. Oh, it was. I mean, yeah, it was a, a wonderful education. Then coming to New York and being in my first show, I moved to the city March sixth of two thousand, and started rehearsals the seventh of March for my first Broadway show, and that was an experience like no other just I still feel that way though I mean you must understand oh, that like, absolutely you get a show like I just did a matinee on Broadway yes what of a hit like that's crazy and the fact that I still feel that way and this is my sixth Broadway show I mean I must be doing the right thing if I'm loving it this much still yes you are you know yes I'm in good company over there as well you are. Well, so, so what was the tour that you did uh Victor Victoria it was as oh. a dancer all my all my shows in like regional theater shows before booking that first big tour, I, it was always as a dancer. I'm a tap dancer, obviously why I did yes. Billy Elliot, but it was always as a dancer. And then somebody uh, on the Victor Victoria tour over our Christmas holiday said, you know, there's this thing on Broadway. This is 1998. There's this show called Cabaret where people play instruments. Don't you play? I thought you went to school to be a musician. And I said, I do. And so I made a cassette tape. Christmas of 1998. I played flute, clarinet, which I just borrowed someone's clarinet, and my sister's alto saxophone, and piano, and a little bit of oboe, and I put it on a cassette tape, and I sent it to the roundabout theater company, <laughs> and I got a call. And, I mean, obviously, now there's many different means of submitting yourself for things. And right. You, you're, you, can, you can do that in a whole different way now, but... Um, they called me in, and after six auditions, I, I, I did book the show. Six auditions? Yeah, I auditioned first in April of 1999. I sent the tape over Christmas. They called me in April. I was still on tour. I flew in from, from tour and auditioned for them at the Roundabout Rehearsal Space, which was a huge deal to oh, me. Oh, yes, of course huge it was. Deal. Yeah. Just recently, I, I performed for the Roundabout's gala 
and we rehearsed in that studio it still gives me the same feeling and oh, it's wow. been this is my I guess what can I say my 18th year in New York since that began and I still feel the same way walking to that studio like I'm in a Broadway space right now this is crazy yeah so I auditioned the first time in April and they periodically called me in throughout the rest of the year and I came in the following so it was auditioned like over the course of 11 months six times every so often and then then it happened and I was on a temporary contract and um, it kept getting extended and extended and right. then I ended up being there four years and playing Sally Bowles well, tell me about that. I mean, that's that's a dream role for a it lot is. of people. It you is. Got I to do it. still can't believe that it's actually happened. It's just insane. I'd been with the show as a swing, and I'd understudied all of the girls. And how many instruments did you have to play? You know, I played... For that show, I, I only played clarinet, alto, tenor, and keyboards at that time. Only. Yes. <laughs> I say that because the, the resume of instruments grew throughout the years because I love doing it. I love it. I found the niche that, that just really resonates with me as well. Yeah. I mean, there have been very few shows since Cabaret where I've not touched an instrument. I mean, there have been some, but it's mostly, and I love that. I think that sometimes people will be like, oh, I want to get a job where I don't have to do this thing that I'm always cast doing. Well, yes. I, I feel the exact opposite. I, I want to always play. I love it. It's oh, like an ex- good. It's like an extension of my voice. and. In common, in particular, I'm prancing around on that stage with an accordion, yes, and I, I love it. It's a beast, and I I feel it makes me feel strong, and I just feel like it's a different expression of who I am, and it's it's a it's a different voice than anybody else in the show. Yeah, and, and I like that. So I love playing instruments, but yeah. Anyway, in cabaret, I think somebody had left. Another ensemble member booked another Broadway show who covered Sally and was leaving, and the musical director Patrick Vaccariello, who I blame and thank for my entire career you know asked me if I would sing for it and 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 I did I sang for it and and then he asked me if I would would understudy it at first and then as the show was going on there were periods of times where there would be between stars and I actually was billed as Sally and which which is amazing so and and there was like there was a playbill announcement and I didn't really understand that it was as big of a deal as it was at the time I mean I knew I was like getting to do something extraordinary right but I remember uh one of the other um standbys for a different role came up to me at the theater and was like you realize that there was an announcement in playbill today you're starring as Sally Bowles and I was like that'd be just that's crazy I mean and it feels so recent. It's not. It's a long time ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to do that. And then when it went on tour to Asia, I got to play Sally there, which was really great. That's a, Was it in English? Yeah. In subtitles? In English, yeah. Or super titles, I guess? Super titles. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so unbelievable. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. It's funny, though, because if you were to ask me what is my favorite theatrical experience, yes. I think that you would assume that I would say playing Sally Bowles. I mean, it's up there. It definitely ranks up there. There's so many good ones. And actually, the show where I would say my tre- my track was the least demanding, in Warhorse, I covered the violin and accordion. And when I had to do those tracks, those were demanding and mm. difficult and stressful. But my everyday track in Warhorse as an ensemble member was, I would say, less physically demanding than many of these other roles. I didn't sing very much at all in the ensemble track. But watching those horses work... Watching those three people work together and breathe together, listen together, react together, 
still ranks up there. And that's like doing Sally Bowles for me, like watching. It is. It's so strange. I think that 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 would be not what you might expect me to to say, but not at all. It's just as a performer and as an actor, it was a lesson. Like every day, in trust and not one that I. I mean, I was part of it yeah. when I when I was when I was with them on stage, reacting to the horses. If the puppeteers were out, I would do some of their. They had uh, rest tracks. They called them where instead of being in a horse puppet, they were holding poles for the stable or. I, and sometimes if too many people were out of the show, I would do those tracks. Oh, okay. And so I'd be standing there holding a pole two feet away from this beautiful puppet, just totally engrossed in what they were doing. I mean, it was pretty extraordinary. Well, I know when I saw it as an audience member, yeah. I felt like I was seeing living art. It, yeah. It was I mean, so it just, magical. it ranks up there. I mean, obviously, you know, getting to do something like Mrs. Wilkinson was pretty extraordinary because, right. you know, that, that having been a dancer and growing up and, and loving dance and being obsessed with ballet dancers in particular, getting to watch these kids do this this thing on stage and develop this movement and being a part of that as the teacher was really special as well. You know, but but it's funny that Warhorse is is pretty high up. There. Well, it should be. Yeah, well, it yeah. seems like you understudy on top of doing a lot of instruments in your Broadway shows yeah. you understudy major principal roles yeah do you yeah. like understudying as well do you have that demeanor I do I actually really love it and Comet is the first time where I, I was asked to understudy and I actually turned it down because I want to finish my bachelor's degree and it's it does take some time in the future if they were to need covers down the road I, I'd be interested in doing it but it is a commitment and I think it's an emotional commitment mm-hmm. a psychological commitment to, to what that means and we're in a very loving community over there for our understudies and our standbys and our, our swings. Yes. I mean, it's wonderful. They're all incredible, all of them. So it's nice for me to take a step back from it for a second and, you know, come to the theater and be surprised about the changes for the day right. rather than have my whole morning changed because of it, which I, I love. I love, but it's nice to, to, this is the first time that I haven't, that I haven't done that. So. Ah. Yeah, I do like it. I, obviously, standing by for a name can be challenging when you know that someone spent a thousand dollars to see a show and then yeah, especially you know, something like Sally Bowles. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, you know, if you can hook them in in the first number, they're, they'll oh. be glad that they've stayed oh, to then, see you anyway. And, and, and then they're and, standing by the end. Yeah, exactly. Yes. exactly. So. Well, one role that you I saw that you played was uh, Pirelli mm-hmm. on was it the national tour? Of yeah, Sweden the Todd? national tour. And that's normally a male's role, correct? It has been. However, uh, in subsequent productions of the John Doyle version, it has been a woman. And it is now at Barrow Street, played by a woman. The off-Broadway that's happening now, I just saw oh, it. Oh, you did? I did. I saw it on Sunday night. and it, Oh, that score. It just, the, the feelings hearing it, it's just, it, I love it. I love it. But it is played by a woman, and she also plays the Baker woman. It's it's a double oh, role. She's incredible. Incredible in that. So, yeah, it has been played by a man in other productions. But John had done something interesting where it was as though the place was... The show was taking place in an asylum, and my role could have been looked at in many different ways in terms okay. of the caretaker of the asylum. So it was a different take on it, and I liked it. I still was very masculine in my presence, which has been a theme in several shows that I do, so, which that's great, too. And John Doyle also did, did he do Company? That he, did he did Company, and that's the one where I actually covered more instruments than any other show. I was a standby. I have a great standby story. Oh, I want to hear one. it. Yeah. Um, I was a standby for Marta, Kathy, and April, the three girlfriends. And I covered, let's see, flute, alto, oboe, tuba, trumpet, 
piano. I think that's it. I think that's it. Six. I might be missing. Yeah, there, I think that was six covers. That's is a what lot. I was allowed to do. Right. Yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite uh, understudy slash standby stories going on in the middle of the show. Mm. This was the middle of the show, the middle of the song. So Marta sings another hundred people. And she'd been out. I'd been on for the role for a couple weeks. She'd been really unwell. She'd had laryngitis and pink eye, I think, if I remember correctly. (laughs) But she'd started the show. And you know how sometimes, like, you come back and you've stopped coughing and you think you're okay to come back to work. And then it just, you're not on stage. And you you have to figure that out. But she she got on stage and she was just, she was really having trouble. And I was alerted. I was in jeans and a ball cap. And I was upstairs in the swing, standby, hangout, playing saxophone. And we heard an announcement, but it, was, it wasn't very clear. So I thought someone should check on this. Come down the hall and Raul Esparza's dresser is running up the stairs. And he's like, you're on. It's Angel. She's, she might need to leave the stage. You're on. And I was like, oh, well, the song's in about two minutes. I'm in a pair of jeans and a ball cap. But they ushered me downstairs to wardrobe. I got dressed. They put my hair down. And I was standing by off stage. She had, I think, sort of spoken the first part of the song. And then there's a scene that happens. And then there's an, then another part is sung. And then a scene that happens. And then it's her, her moment. And in between, during one of those scenes, I was standing next to the stage manager. And they were kind of like, well, uh, there, it was a question as to what was going to happen. Oh but I, so I started to walk on stage. And she was sitting on the piano. And she saw me coming towards her. Finally, I mean, she had pink eyes, so I don't think she was wearing her contacts that day even. So, <laughs> so I started to walk towards her. She saw me. She jumped down off the piano, and we did a pass. And literally, I stepped into place. Another hundred people just got off of the train, like immediately within seconds of landing into place. And you could see Raul Esparza's head down stage because he, you know, was in front and couldn't have seen what happened behind That's, him. Yeah. Literally, his head just sort of tilted, and he was like, "Huh, that's a different voice." Because she was short, petite, and Asian. Yes, I remember and I'm that. Not that. <laughs> so, so it was, and it was sort of a, an interesting moment for the audience. I think that something a transition had happened in the middle of the song, not just the show, but the song. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I finished the rest of that performance, obviously. Oh. But yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty fun. But actually, in meeting you, that was also a great understudy story. If you remember this, I'm not sure. I'd come off the Billy Elliot tour. And you were on a schedule where it was Monday, Tuesdays off. So I came in on Wednesday. I watched, uh, didn't really meet anybody, but I watched the two shows. Thursday night, I, I had, I had a, an hour rehearsal with the ballet girls on Thursday. And then Thursday night, I followed Emily Skinner around backstage. And then Friday, we had an afternoon rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And then she called out Friday night. But, but the other two standbys weren't around. I was new to the company. Luckily, my costumes had arrived. So the first time I stepped on stage, I met Greg Jabbar on stage as Mrs. Wilkinson in Billy Elliot. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know if you were there at that moment. I mean, we our paths crossed. Well, yeah. But then we had off for a few days because there was a hurricane right after that. So, <laughs> But I had a Friday night where stage management called me at 6 p.m. And I was shopping for, like, batteries because we were about to have a hurricane. Yeah. And they were like, how do you feel about doing Mrs. Wilkinson tonight? And I was like, well, I've never done it before. Understudied it on the road, but never did it. You never even went on on the road? No. Wow. I hadn't. So that was exciting to meet. I was meeting, like I shook Joel's hand backstage at intermission, introducing myself. Or not intermission, during the bows. I like met him during the bows, shaking his hand backstage, which was quite funny. That's, well, yeah. That was one of my questions, and that's a good answer. Coming into a company 
a brand new company of a show that you already know, you yeah. already have done it, but it's completely different, yeah. new people. How was that? It was awesome. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about being somebody in the ensemble, and especially somebody in the ensemble that understudies. You have to be a yes person. Mm-hmm. When things happen, the only thing you can be is excited. This is what we train for. This is what we this is what we live for is to yes. get to do fun things like this. So the only way to be is excited and happy about it. And um, I think for for all the people in Billy Elliot that night, they were like, "Whoa, something new's happening on stage. There's a new person, a new human. We haven't even really engaged with or met. And what's what's she gonna do? Like, I'd come from the tour, so it was." You know, I, I understudied Faith Prince, so it was a totally different oh, thing right. that I had learned from, you know, Emily Skinner's performance. Both wonderful performances, both very different. So to have, I'm, I'm sure for, for everybody in the ensemble at, you know, the Imperial Theater, they were excited to see what was going to happen oh, out there. Oh, yeah. But I was met with a really warm reception from, from everybody. I mean, I feel lucky in a lot of these shows that I've, that I've been a part of that I've been in good company. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel the same yeah. way about Billy Elliot. Yeah. That was, I was a replacement as well. Yeah. And they were like, oh, hell. I mean, it was such a... I've heard stories about people being brought into shows, especially from tours, Yeah. where they were very like, oh, this person's joining us from the tour. Well, because things can be different. Yeah. Because a tour is sometimes set up for a proscenium in, in you know, huge... Different different than a Broadway show. The Broadway yeah. show is built into the theater that it's going to stay into. So oftentimes things in tours change, shift whether it be you know somebody from production thinking that something might work better in in a mm-hmm. different way on tour so i can understand how how you know coming in from a tour to a broadway house you know there can be a i don't want to say a conflict of interest but you know there there could just be different things that are happening and yes. it's finding the balance between the two and finding what the piece is about again and how do we mold these two different productions that you know you've been a part of billy was Billy was great that way. I I agree. What a great group of people. I really had such a good time. I I was so sad that it closed so I know. I mean so short. But but how was your tour experience? Wonderful. Understudying Faith Prince. Oh my gosh. Faith Prince and Emily Skinner, those are two pretty great names. I know. (laughs) I know that. And great women. I don't know Faith, but I love her. She's marvelous. She's a wonderful human, she really is. And she was never out. No, she was out. We had two covers. Oh yeah, two covers. To be fair. I think Faith only missed I want to say Bev Ward, who was our other... She was Dead Mom, who was the... Oh, okay, yes. She, she might have only done it, like, three or four times on the road. Faith was there all the time. Like, that's she great. was committed to... She loved her job. I mean, I, I... And she was fun. She was definitely fun to work with, that's for sure. But I have to say that Billy Tour, they're still some of the best friends that, I, that I've that i ever had in my life. I mean, just a great group of, of humans. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be doing justice, though, if I didn't say it. I, I feel like that's... You know, cabaret. The cabaret girls are marvelous. They're still some of my best friends. It's you, you. Every show that I've done, you really find your find people that you connect with. We're lucky that way. Yes, we definitely, yeah. we definitely are. And yeah. Billy was one of the shows that you didn't have to play an instrument. I did on the road. You did on the road. I did. I played accordion on the road. And when I came into the Broadway <laughs> company, I said, "Well, when I forget who who was playing it, somebody was Drew McVitie was playing accordion oh, when I for, came in. Yeah, for the for, for a dad song. Yes. Yeah, and I said, "Well, I can cover it, but then I couldn't because I'm a member of 802, which is the musicians' union. So it would have changed things had I played it on stage. Okay. So I couldn't play it in the Broadway company, but on the tour, it was a different thing." Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, I have a, definitely have a union question. You're welcome to ask any uh, of those. Well, so. we'll ask, uh, I'll ask yeah. them I'll right now. Just because I think that as a person who doesn't know, it just seems like you're completely 
overworked. You have to be a quadruple threat. You're singing, dancing, acting, tap dancing, running around with an accordion. Uh, how are you protected union-wise and without numbers? Are you compensated appropriately? Because it just seems like you're doing a heck of a lot of work. We are, and you know it's a it's a continuing conversation and one that I'm very present in with both unions. Friends with people over at 802 and Actors' Equity, and we speak regularly about any of the concerns and issues. And in fact, to be perfectly honest, the first that these, I mean, in Cabaret we had played years ago, there weren't agreements between the two unions. Sweeney Todd changed that. There was an actor-musician settlement agreement that was established in 2006, and it, it in my opinion, is a little vague, but it does offer protection from, with both unions involved okay. when you're doing this. It has to be deemed by both unions that it should be covered under both unions. So the musician's union has to come and see the show and, and deem that you are indeed playing in the show right. legitimately. And when that determination has been made, you're a first an actor's equity member. However, your pay scale is dependent on whether or not you're, you're deemed to be in the musician's union. So the agreement says that you make the higher of the two minimums. Okay. So, and those minimums are... You can look them up online. You can look them up online. Yeah. And the thing about John Doyle uh, that was so marvelous is he decided that you were doing the job of two people. So he took whatever the actor's minimum was, whatever the musician's minimum was, and he, he did a percentage of the higher of the two and bumped that on top of it. Good. So if you were making... Let's say you're making $1,500 or something like that, as an example. These are not the numbers. But if you're making $1,500 and the musician's union was making $1,600 to do, if you were just a seated musician, he'd pay you the higher of the two. So you'd make $1,600 and then he'd say, you know what, I'm going to give you an extra $500 on top of that because I think what you're doing is valid and valuable and we appreciate it and you should be compensated for it. So any of the John Doyle shows, he's very much takes care of his people and he's he's an advocate for, you know, what we do. Oh good. And has even offered and, and said, you know, when when negotiations happen, if you ever want to ask questions, contact me. I'm I'm happy to chat about it. Common is different in that sense. We are making the minimums and that's new for me. I've never been in a show where it's where an actor musician show where it's been that's not true. That's not true. I have been in another one where they were. However, this show's so different because we are running. Yeah. We're not we're not just with whereas with cabaret we were we were seated when we were playing. There were a few moments where we got up and maybe moved a little bit, but I'm literally and the other accordionist in particular, she is up and down the stairs to the mezzanine of the Imperial Theater, across, back and forth, and the clarinetist is, I mean, I clocked that I was doing 35 flights a show. So oh I, but I have to, But I have to say, I'm pretty sure that other, other musicians are doing more than I am. I might be doing the least out of any of the musicians in the show, and it definitely was a journey, and I do think, honestly, I've been in touch with both unions. I think it's time to sit down and look at that actor-musician settlement agreement again and, and just look at some of the things. Because though we make the two minimums, for example, if you're doing a Broadway show and there's risk involved, you get paid for risk. Right. Musicians don't get that. So I don't get that on this show. It's just one example of right, where but you it's could not trip the flight of stairs and exactly break your head so and your think, accordion. <laughs> exactly, and we have had people, you know, trip in this show, and some instruments have have a moment of needing repair. Yeah. So I do think it's time that we revisit them, and I definitely want to be in on those conversations when it happens because it's my livelihood. It's not about the money. It's definitely about just making sure the protections are there. There's some there's some gray area within the contracts for sure for what well, what it, I do. So it seems that, but I think with 
a show like Company, I was like, what, well, do they really need to play the mu- play these instruments? But yeah. then with Comet, I was like, oh my God, I love that they're playing their instruments. It seems where yes. even Cabaret, you're playing musicians when it's integrated. Yeah, with- and that's, it's integrated, yeah. if I can inter- interrupt. Yeah, you. oh, please. Um, Dave Malloy was sitting at a cafe in, in Russia and was watching this performance. And I can't remember which instrument it was. I think it was a viola, he says, or... Uh, that was like playing and it was so close to him and every time it would play he'd be like oh oh right there's a viola like right there but he loved it he loved that he felt like he was near it and part of it and that it and and that it was just an interesting texture instead of not feeling so close to things but watching from a distance yes but feeling immersed that it's around you so to speak so it started in um boston uh after after the production left off broadway I should tell you this. In the off-Broadway production, I played Princess Mary and played accordion. It was a, a one track. Okay. So, And then when we went to Boston, Gelsey, the original Princess Mary, came back to do the track, and they created this track for me where I play accordion in the show. And then um, when I got there, they said, we're going to give you some friends. And so the following week, they brought in three new players who are also in the Broadway company with us now. And then for Broadway, they hired even more uh, because they really liked the idea of musicians moving about the the space and this is an incredibly incredibly talented group of actor musicians i mean like physically throwing themselves into what we do out there every night i think it's extraordinary and i also think there's more room for it in other shows i think it would depend upon the show obviously right but i do think that this kind of theater that uses the entire space we're not immersive that's not the right word definitely involved though because you're you're this close. You're, yes. you're two feet away from the actors or a musician. And even the people who are sitting in those rear mezzanine seats have an experience. Oh, that's where I was. Oh, okay, great. Oh. And there's a, uh, like a catwalk up oh, right. there. That's where I saw you. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was just, that was, it was so unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even when I saw it off-Broadway, you were, yeah, I yeah. didn't feel any less involved in the mezzanine That's space, great. being in the rear mez, yeah. as I did at a fancy table in the tent. Yeah. As an actress, like a lot of people don't like breaking that fourth wall. Oh. You don't have a choice in this show. You know, having worked with John Doyle, when you audition for him, he has you look into his eyes as you're auditioning for him, which is very different than what I was taught, which was the casual glaze just yeah. gaze just above the forehead of the person you're auditioning yes. for, you know? But he wants you to look at look at them him I should say and that to me was a game changer so I was already on board with anything that involves actually looking at people it's not to make people uncomfortable it's to like honestly engage because when you actually look someone in the eyes and you say things to them mm-hmm. it's just different there's there's a I don't want to say it's more real it's just it's more emotionally involved and it's awesome and exciting and terrifying at the yeah. same time like you know, I can sense when somebody doesn't want to make eye contact in the show and comment, and I respect that. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll find somebody else who's right next to them that wants to. I can tell them the story. One of the things that Rachel says is, is to look at many people. It's not look at one person so long that you make them uncomfortable. That's not what it's about. Right. Yeah. At all. So, I love breaking the fourth wall. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I love it. And. I, I, I just look forward to doing more theater like this. I do too, and it's yeah. interesting because it's not immersive, but as an audience member, yeah. you feel like you're there. You feel, yeah. But it's still presentational. That's what's so exciting in both both venues is that you walked in, and from sitting there, there was like little tiny little tables with little lampshades. I felt like 
I was in between a parlor and an opera house and yeah. a nightclub, and you just felt that. And it, some of it was because the actors were doing hitch kicks with an accordion right in front of me, yeah. I mean, throwing pierogies at me. And I was like, oh my God, where, where am I? Yeah. Which I didn't really feel that off Broadway as much, and yeah. I don't know what we the difference is. We had much less is. of a pre-show. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a pre-show off Broadway, but there just was less space to cover, and definitely had it, but it's 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 different here. And what were the biggest changes, and how was it transferring? Because it was was it Ars Nova, then like I don't know what the tent was called, and then Boston. The tent. Yeah, well, there was Ars Nova, then there was the downtown tent in the Meatpacking District, then there was the uptown tent on Forty Six, which was next to the Imperial Theater. That's where I saw it. And then A. and now the Broadway Company. And I think, obviously, the cast has expanded. There have been songs that have been added and songs that have been cut. For the better, I think, on both accounts. The sound and lighting plot was already wild. Mm. That is something that I think they did well between ART and the the Broadway house. It, It definitely... I mean, that's strobe lights everywhere. Yes. Yeah, and the sound... Obviously, I'm in school for sound, so I geek out about our sound team. (laughs) But they're extraordinary. And there are 80,000 sound cues in the show. And they've designed an app specifically for the show that if you're looking at the app, uh, it's got a drawing of our space, both levels. And you watch our bodies move around on this app. And the sound moves with our bodies in the house. So there are speakers that are hung all over the entirety of the space. And if Josh Groban is standing in the mezzanine singing, which he does at one point, that's where his sound is coming from. So if you were to close your eyes at any time during the show, you should be able to know exactly where the actor is just by listening, which has never been done before. No. Now, they did a little of that at ART, but not to the extent that it is now. I mean, it's crazy what they've done. Where's that sound design, Tony? There should be one. <laughs> I know, know, right? Absolutely. I know, but it, and they're so deserving of it. The team is incredible. Oh. Incredible. Yeah. Obviously, I geek out about that. Oh, yeah, and you're it's really just, proud. It's just the coolest, the coolest thing ever. And the lighting designer and Mimi, our set designer, who is literally a genius. She's won the Genius Award. Oh. She's done an extraordinary thing with that theater and turned it into a beautiful space. Yes. I mean, pretty wild to see, like... I wouldn't even recognize it. Yeah. I would not know that that's yeah. where Billy Elliot was, yeah. or and even Les Mis recently. That beautiful set has been a challenge on the bodies, but we're, we're, we're getting it now. I personally had to change my shoes to a lighter shoe. It's 35 uh, flights of stairs in the show with an accordion. I needed to like f- figure it out, like what, oh, what, what, yeah. what to do to take care of the body. And for me... I, Lo and behold, it was changing my shoes. It was a game changer. Yeah. Game changer. And I, uh, other people have followed suit. They've figured out. They've been like, oh, I need this. This is what's going to help me with longevity and doing a show where literally, because as you saw from the, the main area on stage, there are stairs on both sides of the house that go up to the mezzanine. Yep. And then all those mezzanine stairs with the platform at the top of the house and those rear mez seats. So there's, you know, it's, it's figuring out longevity with the with the show and getting your cardio in oh yeah you wear one of those Fitbits or no you know I (laughs) the reason I know how many uh, flights I've done is because I tracked it on my phone in a tech day I tracked it because I was like the Imperial Theater the dressing rooms are six flights yes right from the basement to the top six flights and so I wanted to know I wanted to know what you you were doing yeah (laughs) well actually speaking of understudies I'm a huge Josh Groban fan he's wonderful he was out oh you saw Scott and I didn't 
feel like I didn't oh, experience the show at all. He's so good. I loved it, and it was so funny because I was like, I miss Josh Groban, but I loved the show. So it's it's good to know that the show stands on its own without a star. Absolutely, it does. And you know, Josh Groban saw the show and said he wanted to do it. This was like a... That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love him from Ally McBeal. That's how oh far back gosh, I go. Oh my gosh, I know. He's a, a wonderful human, exceedingly generous, very kind, and has an incredible sense of humor. I mean, really? Oh, yeah, he's so funny. He, this is where he belongs. I mean, he needs to be in theater. He just... This is his, this is his community. He's, oh, that's it great. Is. Yeah. And, and people don't realize he went to Carnegie Mellon. He just didn't finish because he got discovered as a, as a singer. Yeah. So, but... You know, he's he went to college with all these people that are treading the boards just like just like he is. Yeah. So I think people often think that he's, um, you know, a pop singer who's now come back to try to do a, a stage show, but it's not the case. He's always he's always had a love for theater and, yeah. But all of I can say this wholeheartedly, all of the standbys, all of the understudies are incredible. I mean, it's just, and I think the piece really complements it because we are uh, a very diverse group and we are celebrated for our diversity mm-hmm. each time someone goes on they are that particular role but we're we've been allowed to bring ourselves to these roles so you're seeing a unique performance each time there's no cookie cutter of somebody right. doing what somebody else does not that I'm against that but it's nice that we are celebrated for our individuality in the show it's exciting yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that you saw Scott. He was he was Pierre in Boston. Oh, okay. And Josh Groban came and saw him in the show and was, you know, like, high, high praise for Scott. And Josh rarely misses. I mean, it's it's either he's been very sick or I think he might have missed for a, a press thing related to Beauty and the Beast. But he very rarely misses. But when he does, he absolutely tweets, go see Scott Stangle and he's incredible as Pierre. You need to do yourself a service and see this now man. that is classy. I know. It's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. You talk yeah. about being unique in the show, but you as just a woman are very unique. Well, thank you. Uh, which is one reason why I bonded to you when we worked together. Yeah, yeah. And before we started inter- this interview, you talked about in college, uh, people were trying to make yeah. you be less unique. Yeah. So just in, the, when it be, especially with women, women have a lot more pressure put on them to be a certain way. What has been your experience? Because right now you're sitting here with the sides of your head are shaved, you have stripes. You, know, I mean, you said you had a lip ring. You're I able did. to be yourself. Yeah. How has that journey been for you to get comfortable being that and getting hired? You know, it's interesting because when I was at Penn State, I was with a group of really talented people, and I got my lip pierced when I was 18. I always thought it was the coolest thing. I knew I wanted to do it. The day I turned 18, I got my lip pierced, which to many people seemed like the weirdest thing ever. I was an oboe player. I played, I played wind instruments. Why would you pierce your lip? But I loved it. And I was like, you can still play. It's, isn't, it's not something that directly like, gets in the way. It's on the side of my lip. If it were in the middle, perhaps it would be a different right. But And then I cut off all my hair on Valentine's Day when I was in college. And I had an inverted bob, super short hair. And I quickly realized I probably would have, it would grow out and have long hair again the rest of my life. But I did experiment <laughs> with that. And, you know, I, I, I dressed crazily and... and just was into into all sorts of things and I remember a teacher saying to me I think you're a really good singer but I just don't know that your image is presenting the right thing for this industry and she was essentially saying like this you will you you will have limited success if you choose to continue with this look slash presentation of yourself and honestly I I just I have to say it really propelled me Mm. because 
She said, you know, you're a good singer, but I'm giving you a B because I don't think you're committed to this industry in the way that you need to be. She's like, you, you, you need to think about this. And it has always stayed with me. Every time I book a show, the first time I sang Sally Bowles, hilariously, who did I sit upstairs in the dressing room and think about was this professor that I wanted to be like, oh, she could just see, look, yeah. look, yeah. Look okay. how wrong she was. Right. So obviously, you know, I took my lip ring out for various reasons. One of them may have been that my mother offered me some money for spring break if I would take it out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that piercing, like my ear piercing, doesn't go away. I can still take it in and out. So it is has come out when I've when I've wanted it to be out, which happens to have been for very many years at this point. Um, but I've dyed my hair. I've cut my hair in, in different ways and dyed it. Your tips and, are pink now. Yeah, they're pink. And I've and the side of my head is shaved with lines, no less. But I. I do think one of the important things to celebrate as an artist is your individuality and not be afraid to go with that. Find what it is that makes you you and commit to it. It's, I feel like, and I could be wrong about this, but when you're unsure of that, like you're unsure of, and, and I know personally that in other years I've done myself a disservice when I go into an audition and I try to guess what they want me to be. Mm. And I try to dress a certain way or or present myself in a certain way. I feel like it's I'm not authentic then, and it's not those are not usually the jobs that I end up booking because I haven't been authentic to who I am. And meanwhile, when I've now I'm not saying that I always go dressed crazy or whatever to auditions, but when I've allowed myself to have the freedom to to be a little bit of myself, I, I've had more success. And I would absolutely tell any artist, any aspiring artist to, to, to do that. Don't be afraid to cut your hair. Don't be afraid to dye it. Don't, maybe not get a face tattoo. Right. But, you know, I, I feel like it's still okay to be yourself in, in, in this industry. Now more than ever, I feel like that's, that's what is people want. Yeah. More than ever. Especially Great Comet. I mean, if you lined us all up, we are just a crazy group of people. Yeah. It's and, wonderful. And all beautiful in your own way. Yeah. And I... I and I really appreciate that. I think that Rachel Chafkin, our director, is a huge advocate for that. That you know, be yourself, be authentic, be true. And well, I, thank yeah. you for saying that too, because I also yeah. feel like that's all people should think. Yeah. But also, I think for young women to hear that is really important because yeah. there's there's a pressure that society puts on them and they put on themselves yeah. that they have to be one way. And speaking to that, if I can talk about one other subject with relation to yes. that of being yourself. Um, the first time I booked Cabaret, uh, or actually I've had so many jobs that I've booked where they've been like, lose 10 pounds, lose 15 pounds. And for me... They tell you that? Yes, yes. Uh, um, they would that, never tell a guy that, just so you well, know. Well, I'm glad for you. That I know, <laughs> that, and that's yeah. horrible. Well, it does happen with women. And interestingly, the first time around when I did Cabaret, they did ask me to lose weight that first time around. Did I? No. Did I keep the job? Did I stay there? Yes. Because you're talented. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But also, that's not what the show was about at that time. The, the, the bodies mm. of the women of Berlin in the 20s and the 30s would have been all shapes and sizes. Yeah. And all of it beautiful. So, um, and I had to grow my armpit hair out, which coincidentally is still with me in Great Comet and dyed pink these days. I thought that's what I, I was going to yes. ask you that. That was contractual for Cabaret. I enjoyed it so much. Any opportunity I've had to grow it out again, and they'll let me do it for a show, it will be grown out. <laughs> I thought it was pink. When I saw you in the show, yeah. and then I was when I was writing the questions, I was like, okay, hot if pink. it's not hot pink, and yes. I asked that question, she'd be like, no. No, it's hot pink. It is hot pink. It's wonderful. I love it. Oh, yeah. Um, this time around, doing a show for a second time, 
coming into the 2014 revival. This time I was asked to lose weight by by someone in particular, and I really this time it it, it was did not feel okay to me because the women were all much thinner this time around. Beautiful, very talented women, but not as many variations in the body size. So I was a more voluptuous girl coming into yeah. this company. You this have a time great around. figure. Well, I love my figure. Yeah. So, thank well, you, you look like a woman. <laughs> I'm like, a woman. Yeah. I'm a woman. I yeah. have curves, and yeah. I love that. And I, I think that um, this time around, it, it offended me in a different way. Mm. Like I, it was something obviously like years ago when I was 17, 18, 19, and growing up and wanting to do ballet and being told that I was too heavy to do ballet. I have figured that, yes, I, I might not be the teardrop as one one person said that I wasn't. Uh, a, I saw a doctor when I was really young who said, well, you're not quite a teardrop about and said, maybe you should try tap dancing. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I did go to tap dancing and I'm a, I'm a good tap you dancer. You sure <laughs> are. <laughs> yeah, but this time around in cabaret, it offended me just a little bit more. But interestingly, aside from the one person who, who asked that of me, I was approached by everybody else in association with the production saying, just so you know, we don't agree with that, that that's, this person has asked you that. We think you're beautiful, we think you're you know, wonderful, and we're so glad that you're here. Please know that this is not a unanimous feeling. This is the, the opinion of one individual. So, oh, good. And that, which was really nice that, yeah. that, that many people did, did say that. But, you know, I mean, I understand though. I mean, Alan Cumming turned 50. That man doesn't want to lift a girl who who weighs as much as I weigh. He wants to weigh a girl. He wants to lift a girl that weighs forty pounds less. Right, so, but he know. can. He has a bunch of other choices of girls to lift. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. Did you do it with Alan the first time? No, he had already departed the show. I came in with Michael C. Hall. That's who I saw. In yeah. It. Oh. So I was probably in the show when you saw yes. it. Yes. Yeah. He and Susan Egan. Susan I came Egan. in with both of them. Susan that, Egan's incredible. That's the cast yeah. I saw and was just blown yeah, away. She's so good. Yeah. They're good. I mean, he actually took a break from our show because he had a little pilot that he was going to LA to shoot that he wasn't sure was gonna make it six feet under. Uh, so and then he left to go to go do that. Yeah. So it's nice to to know him and it, that was his Broadway debut, cabaret that you saw. Oh really? Yeah, it was. And then, you know, he went on to great things, also an incredible, incredible performer. Uh, so yeah. How was it doing a revival of a show that you already did the revival of? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a special show. I mean, hearing that music again and meeting a whole another slew of actor musicians and crazy, freaky weirdos was just wonderful, you know? And all all of the people who, I mean, Alan's, Alan's incredible. Yes, he He's is. He's incredible. And I mean, you just you just want to watch everything that he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's just he's a, he's a good human. Yes, you know? he is. And Michelle Williams, Emma Stone, Sienna Miller, all wonderful people. Like all very different Sally Bowles. And again, like never a dull moment in watching what they brought to the you know to the role. So that was really fun. Did you understudy Sally this time? I didn't. I came in. They opened April, and someone asked if I would play the Tony Awards in June. So I wasn't actually officially in the show, but I played the Tony Awards with them. Oh. And then they asked if I would come in as a vacation swing, and I started vacation swinging, and then uh, someone left, and they asked me if I'd stay. And of course, of course, they had all their understudies at that point. And right. I mean, it wasn't about that for me. Just being on the stage again where I made my Broadway debut in a show that's so still so dear to me was 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 incredible and i love playing i love playing yeah so you know it's 
it was good. I didn't need much rehearsal. Was, I played the same books that I played. Oh, that is so, so I mean, so I walked wild. In, I know, and I loved it. I loved it. With War Horse, was there a huge difference between doing a play with music at like Lincoln Center where you're like, this is a more of a play than it is doing a musical in For the me, field? For me, it was a musical because I was hired because I play accordion and violin. Oh, okay. So yes, it was a play with music, but the reason I got the job is because there was music. So oh, right, okay. It was a musical to me. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a, I forget, you know, I got the Gypsy Award for Comet, but... You did? I did. Oh, and, cool. And that's so exciting, because now I get to go and be a part of the ceremonies for each Broadway opening for a musical that has an ensemble. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow's Miss Saigon, so I'm excited to go to the Miss Saigon tomorrow and, and watch someone be handed the, the, the Gypsy robe. Of course, didn't count towards my Gypsy robe because it was oh, a play. play. Yeah, which I, I forgot about that because to me it's a musical because right. I got hired to play and sing. Right. So. And this was my one of my first questions on here and I forgot about it. You're in a girl accordion band? Yes. Um, <laughs> that just sounds so awesome. Yeah, uh, we're, we're on a brief hiatus. Sadly, our conductor passed away. Oh. And we haven't played as many shows together. We still are, some of the girls will do quartets, quintets, or some other shows. And we, we have a little following and people get in touch and ask to play gigs. It's called the Main Squeeze Orchestra, and it has been anywhere between 12 and 18 women, and everyone plays accordion. There's a bass accordionist, and then there's four accordion sections within it, and we play everything from Bohemian Rhapsody to, you know, a Michael Jackson set to, it's covers, basically. Right. But all on accordion with ladies, and it's awesome. And actually, the other accordionist in the show, Mary Spencer Knapp, played with me in the main squeeze. And they contacted me before Comet started and said, "We wanna, we wanna hire another accordionist. Do you have any recommendations?" And I, I listed some of the girls that I thought would be really great, and they hired Mary, which is incredible. So we know each other. Yes. Previously, so and she's an incredible, incredible accordionist. So. Well, that also goes to show, like people you know recommend each other, and people talk and word of mouth. Absolutely, and... that is such a huge part of this, and. I always say that I'm not very good at auditioning. My resume might, you might think otherwise, because I, I have been very fortunate to work pretty frequently. I'm not very good at auditioning, but I do feel like a part of this, this business really is the connections you make with people and doing good work, doing committed work. And when someone's worked with you on a show before and somebody's looking for something, they'll be like, oh, I worked with this person. She was really great in this. Or, you know, she gave 100% all the time. And then and a recommendation leads to a job. Or even if you don't do so well in the audition room, they might be like, but you know what? I, I, know, I know what she's capable of in this other capacity. And being a yes person and also, you know, committing yourself 100% all the time is really, really important yeah. in this business. So... Well, speaking of being a yes person, I hear you said yes when someone asked you to marry you and change your last name to Wood. I did. I'm moving up two whole letters in the alphabet. I know. know It's very exciting. So tell me about your wedding. Well, I had always thought if and when I were ever to be married, that despite the sadness that might arise from friends or family, that it would be a sensible elopement. Yes. And I can't think of any better place that I'd rather get married than on a Broadway stage, though, a house to ourselves. So we got married, uh, my sister witnessed, and a dear friend officiated, and obviously we had to tell stage management and the house manager and sound new so that you know they weren't surprised when they saw us standing on the stage. Yeah. But it was a surprise to many people at the theater. Not very many people knew, and we got married between sound check and fight call. And 
That is so. <laughs> that's like a movie. Stage. It was great. It was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And you know, yes, I have a few friends that are not pleased with me that they didn't know in advance, but. Just small, private, and yeah, but you it's know, about you yeah. and, and him, not absolutely. Not and also, I, you know, it's kind of like the stage was. We were on the stage, and there's the audience, but it's empty. It's like we're setting the stage for our lives, and you know, so it's just nice to. It just was. It was beautiful. Oh yeah. yeah. So we already talked about Warhorse and and experiencing that, and also going on for Sally Bowles. Yeah. Are those? You would say two of your biggest moments, or do you have other ones that you would like to? It's just besides getting married on Broadway stage. I mean, getting married on Broadway is pretty great. I don't know. I feel like I've had so much joy in so many shows. I mean, Sweeney Todd was awesome. I mean, it was awesome playing that playing that show and playing that role. And I love what I do in Comet. I love it. Yeah. I love being in this ensemble. I love watching these people work every night, and it's definitely. And a I love that you guys get so, your own bow because it's definitely oh, yeah. you guys yeah. definitely deserve it. Yeah, thank you. It's it's great. I love it. I really do. I mean, they've all been so good, and like I said, there's just there's there's special people you meet in every show, and special moments that happen in every show, and you know they they've all been remarkable. Even you know there have been experiences in regional theaters doing roles that have just been incredible too, but. I'm just right here, right now, enjoying myself in Great Comet. <laughs> That's the best place you should be. Well, yeah. this is kind of off topic, but do you watch the show Mars, Mozart in the Jungle? I do. I Well, I love it. Well, one, I love it because so many New York actors are in it. Yes. It takes place in New York. It's based on some truths, but she was an oboe player yeah, in the Broadway pits. And she wrote this scandalous book that I'm told is not to be mentioned in certain Broadway houses. Really? Because yeah, the show's so not that scandalous. That's not a, as far as that for the Broadway community. But as far as orchestras go, it could be scandalous. In fact, I think that the one guy who plays a drug dealer on Mozart in the Jungle, yes. he's also, he's our contractor for The Great Comet and for many other Broadway houses. John wow. Miller is his name, and he's That's a contractor, hysterical. yet he plays this drug dealer. I think it's him. Yeah. On Mozart in the Jungle, which is hilarious. Like, he's he's legitimately in this in this world. Oh, and that's in that a... show. I will say, I watched the show as a person who went to college to play the oboe. Uh-huh. That's the lead character. Yes. So I was definitely watching her to be oh, like, is she playing the real fingerings for that oboe? I is she? To see. She is. She is, and her playing, she's, she's coached with, actually, our oboe player on Great Comet coached her wow. so that she looks legitimately I mean obviously she had to learn to play because she's she's That's playing what, that role yeah. right she did study with our, our oboist from the Great Comet right. so, yeah. some of my laugh out loud moments are when she is in a Broadway pit like Oedipus Rex or whatever <laughs> and it was just funny because you know there are musicians that think I can only play classical music so when I have to go play Mamma Mia, yeah. it's beneath them. But yeah, I like but now, the show. That's not so much the case anymore. I mean, the, the wages for a Broadway musician are good. They are. Yeah, and the benefits are good. Their health insurance plans better than the actor's equity ones. So you have a family and you're both, you know, in Great Comet, you'd, you'd probably choose to go on the, the musician's health insurance, honestly. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it is, it's interesting. Well, that's off topic, but I just, <laughs> I love the show and I love that it represents New York yeah, yeah, actors yeah, yeah. playing musicians. Yeah, it's great. But it's, she's an oboist, so as soon as you said, oh, I was like, yeah. Ah. yeah. I read that book right away when it came out. Wow. I was like, I want to read about some oboe scandal. Yeah. Well, the Bernard <laughs> Peters is in it. Absolutely. Deb Monk plays the other oboe. I know. Oboist. I know, which just kills me because she's she's awesome. She's brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah. well, this has been so so lovely. It's so great yeah, yeah. to see you. If we could end this with one song that represents 
you, whether today or in your career, what song would you end this podcast with? I mean, because we've talked about it so much, it has to be Cabaret. It has to be the title song. Oh, it done. Has to, I mean, yeah, because it's, it's special and, you know, life is a cabaret. Yes, it is. Yes. Ah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. What good you sitting alone in your room? Come here, the music play. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Taste the wine, come hear the band, come blow a horn, start celebrating. Right this way, your table's waiting. No use permitting some profit of doom. The wipe every smile away. Life is a cabaret, old chum. Come to the cabaret. A girlfriend known as Elsie With whom I shared four sordid rooms in Chelsea She wasn't what you'd call a blushing flower As a matter of fact, she rented by the hour The day she died, the neighbors came to snicker Well, that's what comes from too much pills and liquor But when I saw her her queen she was the happiest corpse I'd ever seen I think of Elsie to this very day I remember how she turned to me and say what good is sitting alone in your room come hear the music play life is a cabaret jump come to the cabaret put down the knitting the buck and the As for me, as for me, I made my mind up back in Chelsea. When I go, I'm going like Elsie. Start by admitting from cradle to tomb. Isn't that long a Ha, 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 ha.